Politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow patriots and taxpayers, to the one and only Conservative Review podcast here at Conservative Review's Northern Command Center. Another action-packed week in store for us because, frankly, the news cycle never died down this weekend. Uh, I found myself online pretty much working half the day yesterday, much to the chagrin of uh, my kids. Um, But there was really a lot of security-related news that I think we need to go over throughout the week. We're going to try to get some good guests on this week. Today, we're flying solo. Uh, But I need you to go to Conservative Review's podcast page and, well, that's at iTunes and the YouTube page at CR's YouTube page. Like our videos, subscribe to our channel. Um, Give us a thumbs up uh, if you like these videos, which I know obviously most of you do. Um, The biggest news story clearly over the weekend is Iran. I mean, everyone's talking about the protesters, how rather than a million people in the streets of Tehran shouting death to America, they're actually shouting down with the mullahs. Um, Obviously, the iconic picture many of you have seen where the protesters didn't want to um, trample pictures of the American and, and Israeli flags. Unbelievable. Who would have ever thought a day like that would arise in Iran? And the few people who did got booed by the crowd. Um, so there's a lot going on there. And it demonstrates, again, that Trump not only sanctioned Iran, defeated or killed their greatest general, and at the same time avoided a war, peace, peace through strength, um, rather than the country being upset, the people of the country being upset with America, they're upset with their own leaders. Um, the mullahs have the shakiest, uh, most tenuous grasp of the regime, of the country that they had in, in really 40 years. Now, the important thing here is we need guidance of what we should and shouldn't do in the Middle East, but more importantly, what we should and shouldn't do for the security here at home. Now, I want to get back to the Middle East if we have time um, and talk about that, talk about politically the maniacal things that the liberals in both parties in Congress, people like Mike Lee are trying to do and start up with the president for no good reason when he did nothing wrong on Iran. Um, I do want to get to that if we have time, but I want to take it back to the homeland. Veterans of this show know, you know what I'm going to say that the only way Iran at this point, before they get nuclear weapons, could directly threaten us is how? Through immigration, through getting their operatives either through ports of entry, airports, through visas, immigration, or through the border. So to that end, there were a number of news stories over the weekend I want to go over. Very important stories. Now, First off, it's just important to to recognize this is not limited to Iran. Iran is very desperate. If there would be ever a time they'd strike out against us through their operatives that they have gotten into our country, thanks to maniacal immigration, it's, it's now. But the threat of Sunni terrorism is also through the border. It's the same thing. Same thing. And that lesson was underscored by the Pensacola attack, where you had a, a Saudi national 
who we brought in on a military training visa, evidently about 800 of these people every year, 5,000 total when you include other countries, we bring on to our naval air bases, army bases to train, and we don't vet them. No understanding of who these people are. And we noted after Pensacola that Trump had an opportunity to push two policies. One, clamping down on visas from countries like Saudi Arabia, fulfilling his promise to shut down. Really, he promised to shut down all immigration from there until, quote, we know what the hell is going on. That's what the president said. And number two, to fulfill his promise to, quote, on the first day of my administration, to end the gun-free zone policy on our bases, where basically you juxtapose the two, we're bringing in belligerent foreign national militaries to train on our, board, on, our, on our bases while our own soldiers cannot be armed. It's unbelievable. And we, we spoke about last week how Chinese nationals who are likely engaging in espionage were able to get on a naval base in the Florida Keys, and it took a half an hour for authorities to find them. So it's actually interesting, over the weekend, um, these guys were in federal court in the Southern District of Florida at an arraignment, and the federal judge actually was like, this is insane how, um, you know, this guy was able to get in there and remain there, these two individuals, for half an hour. So again, this underscores the need to, for soldiers to go and arm themselves. And again, on both of these accounts, Trump failed to follow up on Pensacola and push these two policies that he had already promised to implement from day one, but this should have served as a good impetus to um, push them now. And that gets me to my broader point, again, before we get into the specifics of Homeland Security and the Iranian terror threat, and that is the president has good instincts on most issues. But, you know, he's got a lot of bad guys in his administration. He has some good guys in, in his administration. He's kind of erratic. And you, the idea of conservative media or the premise of having conservative media in this era should be geared towards getting the president to do what's right as often as possible. It's not a matter of criticizing him. It's not a matter of praising him. It's a matter of getting him to fulfill his promises, because if it's not him, certainly nobody else is going to speak for the sovereign American citizen, our security, our national sovereignty, um, the taxpayers. No one's going to speak for, for the, those lost, forgotten Americans, if not President Trump in this era. That's just the reality. Until we start a new party, which we badly need, um, this is the best we can do. But we have the ability to influence him but yet pensacola took place amidst the most ridiculous um you know just sidelining soap opera on on impeachment where none of our guys were focused on anything so this iranian threat provides us with yet another opportunity to push for similar policies so there's an AP story some of you might have seen over the weekend that the administration, there was a draft policy paper that was leaked um, to the AP that they're considering expanding the so-called travel ban to more Middle Eastern countries as I had called for after the Pensacola attack. 
Um, by some accounts, according to some sources, they want to uh, expand it to seven more countries. Now, our job when these stories come out is to actually make that a reality. What, let, me, let me tell you what's going on inside the administration every time this happens. You often see leaked stories. The administration is going to do this. They're going to get rid of anchor baby jurisprudence, jurisprudence, you know, unconditional birthright citizenship for illegal aliens, for example. That's just one case. And then it never happens. So what typically happens is there's good people in the admin and there's bad people. And the good people are constantly working on good policies. What happens is the bad people go to the media and leak those policies. And their hope is that the media will then start hitting at it. And then Trump's top level people in the West Wing, including Jared and Ivanka, will say, oh, no, you can't do this. And then he backs down. And this has happened many times. Our job is to do the opposite, is once these things come out, these trial balloons, whether it's the administration putting out a trial balloon, whether it's bad guys trying to sabotage a good policy and leak it, it doesn't matter. Once it's out, it's out. We need to back it and advocate for it and, and explain why Trump needs to do this and get in his face, and then he'll do it. But if you don't, what typically has happened is it fizzles out and it strengthens the hand of those in the State Department that don't want to do it. So a couple of news stories that vouch for the need for this. So one, before we get to Iran, just going back on um, Saudi Arabia and Pensacola. So evidently, DOD and state and whoever else did some sort of audit of at least the Saudi nationals that are here on military training. Again, not the Saudi nationals here at large, the 50,000 or so that are in civilian universities on student visas, but these are the 800 or so that are uh, training as part of the Saudi Royal, whatever, Air Force or military on our naval and air bases. And they decided to expel at least a dozen of them from the country. Um, according to the media accounts, it's either because of ties to radical terrorism or some of them were in possession of child pornography when they, you know, they looked into them. So the obvious question should be, well, why didn't we see this beforehand? So that means that we let in people to this country, but not just to this country. We let in foreign military trainees to train on our sensitive military bases who had these ties, and we just let them in. How many more are there? That's the big question. Because again, as I say all the time, this is not about vetting. You can't vet a Sharia mindset, a jihadist mentality. How many people out in the open, just like Al Shamrani, the attacker at the Pensacola base, has social media you know, postings, retweets of, of people saying death to America and known jihadists that we just bring into the country and don't check? So now we finally went back and checked some of these guys, but what about the 55,000 Saudis in U.S. universities? What about the hundreds of thousands of individuals from Islamic countries here on student visas, here on you know, run-of-the-mill chain migrants that are brought in because they're relatives to those already here? 
that are not coming in to join our military bases. So certainly they've gotten less scrutiny. How many of them out in the open, if you were to check their social media accounts, have anti-American proclivities? And again, you know, if you're an American, you're here, you have the right, you have the freedom of speech, as long as it doesn't cross a certain line to say, I hate America and America stinks and retweet people who hate America. And that's fine. It's freedom of speech. But there is no right to immigrate. We could place any conditions we want on that at all. We could say we're not letting you in at all. We're letting you in unconditionally, which is stupid. But we could say that. Or we're letting you in if we like, you know, your views and that you share our values and love America. Is this too much to ask? The president, I mean, again, beautiful line. There was a lot of profundity to what the president said December 7th, 2015. Where this hatred comes from and why we will have to determine. Until we are able to determine and understand this problem and the dangerous threat it poses, our country cannot be the victims of horrendous attacks by people that believe only in jihad and have no sense of reason or respect for human life. And that's when he called for, quote, a total and complete shutdown of Middle Eastern migration, quote, until our country's representatives can figure out what is going on. Well, clearly, four years later, we haven't figured out what is going on. How many more people are there like that? Hundreds of thousands. This is the perfect time for Trump to shut it off. And that brings us to Iran. The man for whom this whole recent news cycle blew up, Qasem Soleimani. We, we reported this endlessly throughout the year, last year, but in July, Soleimani said to Trump, I mean, through the media, we are closer to you than you think. And at the time, I said what that means is not that, oh, we're close, we have the ability to strike your assets and bases in Iraq, that's obvious. He meant our homeland. But when he said he's closer to us, he didn't mean, oh, I have the ability to attack your homeland with ICBMs or a Navy or an Air Force. No, I mean, we could crush them militarily. They, they don't have that ability. It's two things. It's number one, their Latin American operation that Soleimani himself, through the Quds Force, oversaw. Going up all the way to the cartels in Mexico. So the illegal immigration problem where they can get their operatives in through the border. And then just the endless thousands upon thousands upon thousands of Lebanese and Iranians we've brought in over the last few decades, unvetted, who went on to become either intelligence or counterintelligence operatives or, um, or terrorists for Hezbollah. And most notably, we've talked about Hezbollah Unit 910, which is Hezbollah's foreign counterintelligence operation where they have these trained terrorists in every major American city. We've caught a couple of them recently. There's been some FBI indictments on the famous guy in New Jersey um, that was caught uh, surveilling uh, sensitive targets and, and uh, literally got U.S. citizenship while he was traveling back to Lebanon a dozen times with you know getting special operations training and munitions and bomb training, bomb-making training there. 
Um, I could tell you from intelligence officials I have spoken to, there are Hezbollah Unit 910 people in every major city, and they have weapons caches, and they could go kinetic on us anytime. If, God forbid, there is another attack anywhere close to the scale of 9-11 in this country, it will much more likely come from Iran's Hezbollah Unit 910 outfit than from any Sunni terrorist. That's just a reality. But anyway, over the weekend, we had this news, a couple, couple of important uh, news stories. So number one, Breitbart was the first to post this intelligence bulletin from the Yuma Sector Border Patrol, which warned that they heard from a previously deported illegal alien that they were in touch with, their source, that there were um, a few men and women, Iranian women coming to the border, um, that were looked like they were headed towards the Yuma area. They were in Mexico, and there was a threat of a female suicide bomber from Iran. Now, as I said on Friday, it doesn't mean that by any means this is true and it's going to happen. It's like any other intelligence that we we have certain sources. It doesn't mean it's true but it was credible enough for them to put it out to border agents. And indeed, they put the Mexican security forces that they work with on the other side on alert. And the chief of police in Mexicali, that's the sister city of um, Calexico, California, just on the other side of the border, the police chief from there um, confirmed that CBP had her on high alert for the potential crossing of three Iranian men and one uh, female. Um, now, as we noted, Iranians as well as other Middle Easterners come to our border all the time, and for the most part, we we you know we let them in. Um, the FBI does get involved and automatically um, interviews anyone who's from a designated SIA special interest alien country, which, of course, Iran is one. Um, but ultimately, they often claim asylum, which is a joke. Um, and we, we don't know who these people are. And they get let in. Now, it's not hundreds of thousands like like the Guatemalans and El Salvadorans, but, you know, it does register. I, I see it when I get the Texas DPS weekly numbers broken down by country. We, we have people, certainly tons of Bangladeshis, um, much more so than from Iran, but we get Iranians. And um, over the weekend, also, uh, what's his name? Juan Orlando Hernandez, the president of Honduras, uh, publicly announced that they had arrested four Iranians that were headed north to America um, at the Nicaraguan border, their southern border. Now, we don't have any details over, you know, was there anything nefariously being plotted? Why are they coming? I don't know. But again, they are coming. They, they do come to our border. Um, there is evidence from from agents I speak to in the northern border. They come to the northern border as well. Um, so, again, that is where they could harm us. That is where they could harm us. So all these people saying, Trump, you better not start a war in the Middle East. You better not, you know, have a war. If I were Trump, I'd say you're right. And you know what? We're going to take our troops home from from Iraq and from Afghanistan. But here's what we're going to do. We're going to put them on the border. That's how you. Um, you know, remain on offense against Iran but while not worrying about a vulnerability. The vulnerability is only while we're there as sitting ducks. 
we're keeping our soldiers there in Iraq as basically sitting ducks, um, doing nothing more than guarding Iraqi assets so they could then be a target. Remove the target, put them on our border. And again, I don't know how credible any one threat is, but we need them on our border anyway because of the Chinese coming and the espionage and because of MS-13 coming. Breitbart had a great story out just um, just over the weekend how Border Patrol apprehended Bangladeshi's Chinese and MS-13 members all in one week at the Texas border. It's like lions, tigers, and bears, oh my. You know, Bangladesh, Chinese, MS-13, again. Whether it's crime and gangs or espionage and terror, the only way for foreign nationals to threaten us is to get into our country, and that's either through the border or the visa system. That is where the foundation of our homeland security and our national security should be focused on, but it's not. I'll never forget the interview I did last, uh, last year with the DEA uh, special agent in charge of El Paso's DEA office, Kyle Williamson. And the thing about him is he also served in DEA's Middle East office focusing on narco-terrorism, you know, the nexus between terror finance and, um, and drugs. So he has a good background on this. And when I asked him about the threat of the cartels um, being paid off to allow in, you know, potentially terrorist elements, and he said, quote, let's just put it this way. The cartels are an international organization. It's a real threat. It's a prevalent threat. And they do have their associations with groups like Hezbollah, with Af Afghans, and with radical terrorist organizations. What that does is effectively move those borders right up to the United States. Those cartels link the borders, just like they use their resources, their technology, their criminal enterprise to conduct criminal activity activities. They can use those resources to assist terrorists as well. Think about everything bad in the world. When you have open borders, and that means A, a physical southern border that we don't have our military controlling, rather we have cartels controlling, both sides of it. And then a visa system where we just let in anyone, hundreds of thousands every year from the Middle East, hundreds of thousands from China. Well, everything you fear in the world, whether it's gangs, whether it's crime, whether it's poverty, whether it's cultural problems, and then whether it's espionage or terrorism, you just truncated those borders and you brought them right to the cusp of our border and inside of our country in the case of visas. Visas and border. I mean, that is the story of Iran. It's the story of every security problem, but certainly we're seeing that now. I mean, this is the time for, um, for Trump to, to go full bore on his campaign promises. It's already three years into the administration, and we really have not fulfilled those promises. The president has done, a, as I said, a terrific job, I believe, countering Iran, having his cake and eating it too, effectively using soft power, weakening the mullahs, killing their, their best general, and avoiding a war. Peace through strength. But he's got to bring it back to the homeland. So we had it over the weekend. And, and by the way, I just want to get back to that border story. Um, my border agent friend who works with Intel in Border Patrol, he told me, I just spoke with my intel team at my Border Patrol station. 
Now, I'm going to tell you it's not Yuma. He's not in Yuma. I won't tell you where he is. Um, and he said, here's what they told me. They said that they recently caught an illegal Iranian female who was approached by the Iran consulate in Mexico City and was asked to spy when she crossed into our country. That's a quote from a border agent friend of mine. Um, remember, Mexico is a lawless place. The strongest rule. The strongest are bad people. They're the cartels. But Soleimani had had worked um, to get an IRGC presence um, through their embassies, and the embassies are always the conduit. Um, we could have, maybe later this week, we'll have Joseph Humeyer, our resident expert on Latin America and terrorism, Iran and terrorism. He actually wrote a book on it. We've had him on the show a couple of times. Iran uses their embassies throughout Latin America for the IRGC um, terrorism, counterintelligence operations. Remember, um, the largest death of Jews since the Holocaust was where? Trivia question. A lot of people forget it was the Jewish Community Center in Buenos Aires where some like 90 people were killed. Um, that was Hezbollah, and that was orchestrated by, by the Quds Force. Um, it, it is well known their operations in Brazil, Argentina, certainly Venezuela, um, Bolivia, Paraguay, um, the Caribbean even, Nicaragua, obviously, um, with Ortega, the ties there, the Bolivarian Alliance. Um, but but they do have their influence in the Chiapas in Mexico and Mexico City Embassy. And again, if they want to screw us over, you know, when you have a chaotic border run by the cartels, where the cartels, thanks to the fact that our government refuses to treat the cartels as national security threat, they treat them as ads, ah, just drugs, I don't care. They have the ability to strategically get people into our country undetected. Now, thank God this Iranian conflict is not taking place last year when we had just thousands upon thousands every day flowing over the border and we really had no control over it. Then it really would have been worse, but it's still, it's still a problem. The military needs to be put at our border. It's that simple. But at the same time, Trump needs to cut off visas from the Middle East or at least as many countries as he believes is practically practically possible. Um, another story over the weekend. This is awfully quiet. Let me know if you guys have seen more information on this. I haven't seen much other than that, was, which was reported in the Palm Beach Post in Palm Beach County on Friday. Masoud Yariyawal-Yabadabadu-Zoleh, an Iranian national, was arrested in Palm Beach County just four miles away from Mar-a-Lago residence. And he was armed with several knives, a machete, and a pickaxe. And he was carrying $22,000 in cash. From what I've seen, it's not clear if, if he was suspected in a terror plot or not, if it had anything to do with having Mar-a-Lago, the presence of Florida residents, in his crosshairs. Um, but remember, um, at the Soleimani funeral, someone got up there and offered an $80 million bounty on Trump's head. and. Um, you know, this guy is in the country. Now, I don't have any details yet. I'm trying to get information as to, well, how, how, how did he come to the country? I think it was reported he wasn't from the border. He was here legally. Well, you know, was he a foreign student? Was he a chain migrant? 
But again, we've had an awful lot of immigration from Iran in um, in recent years. We have about 14,000, 15,000 foreign students every year. And as we noted, what happened to the travel ban? A lot of them are getting waivers and they're coming in. So forget about, oh, you know, expanding it to more countries, which we need to do. We're not even keeping it to the countries we have. And that gets back to Friday's show because there's these, the, the courts are still winning and they fear the lower courts. So again, Trump wants to do this, but the administration is divided and we need to keep focused. Just in one year from Iran, since 2018, we had nine. We gave out 9,131 green cards. And that does not include the 14, 15,000 foreign students we have from there. These are green cards. We have given out, holy smokes, look at this. 227,502. 227,502 green cards, not including foreign students, from Iran since 2001, since 9-11. How many of those people in this country do you think are like, yeah, Trump, go stick it to the mullahs. Everything they've done to my family back in the day, yeah, stick it to them. Undoubtedly, there's, there's definitely people like that. But how many people are triggered by it and might want to attack us as a result of it? How many side with the mullahs but came to this country because, because always when you have these crappy war-torn Middle Eastern or African countries, it might be impoverished, it might be violent, but it's not persecution. And they're not coming here to get away from those political values and kiss the American flag and shed a tear during the national anthem and become part of America. They're coming for self-interest, but they still bring their values with them. And we see this all the time with all the refugees and all the people we brought in who are caught plotting terror attacks, biting the hand that feeds them. 227,000. Now, yes, some of them, um, there is an element of Iranian Jews that we brought in they're not muslims um and iranian christians but that was mainly prior that was mainly in the 80s and 90s um i mean especially this past decade there really aren't many left the numbers would be very low i mean you could take that to the bank that when we bring in 227,000 on green cards um from iran the overwhelming majority of them are shiite muslims um I don't have a breakdown. There's no real way of getting a breakdown except for the refugee category. Other, other categories we don't have. And the foreign students. I mean, you, you look at how much anti-American, anti-Semitic, anti-Israel sentiment you have on college campuses. Now, again, a lot of that is American leftists, but there's an element that's really fueled by just the endless number of people from the Middle East that, that come in on foreign students. The president promised to shut this down. It's time to fulfill that. It's time to fulfill that. It's that clear. <sighs> I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what it's going to take. What it's going to take until we could finally focus on the fact 
that nobody could harm us as a country unless we let them into the country. What was so plainly evident from this dust up with Iran is that their military is pathetic. They can't rival us. It's not like they could attack us militarily. In fact, part of the reason why they didn't want to escalate it further from what I've heard is that their hardware is such garbage. They didn't want see if they were to start launching um, what 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 our our planes have the ability, our air force has the ability to kind of um, uh, fly near there and and basically serve as a, a magnet for incoming fire, but they have the ability to to dodge that and not get hit. And what that does is it automatically sends back um, all the locations of their anti-aircraft batteries and everything, and then boom, within seconds, we'll have strikes going in and just destroying them. And they didn't want that to happen. They they, they didn't want to, us to see how weak their defenses were. So at least now they could preserve it for the future. Remember, China might be evil and they might support, you know, terrorist regimes and sell weapons to them. But, you know, China looks out for their own interests and they don't sell their best stuff to people. You know, made in made in China <laughs> applies to the garbage that they uh, sent to Iran as well. And um, my point is they can't they can't hurt us militarily. This is how they could hurt us. The border cartels. Remember. Tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of foreign students over the last 20 years. 227,000 from Iran on visas. And again, Iran controls directly two countries. It's Iran. It's also Lebanon. Because their foreign counterintelligence and terrorism operation would be fun, would all be orchestrated through Hezbollah. And, and those would be Lebanese nationals. At least from the ones we've caught so far, they've all been Lebanese nationals. Um, Lebanon, we also get foreign students. but. Uh, uh, we've we've also given out green cards to 62,640. Now, I think a bigger percentage of those were Christians than those from Iran, but still a majority are going to be Shiite Muslims. So that's with that. So that's the homeland. Now, I want to just quickly, before we uh, run out of time, I, I did want to get into refugees too. talk about our homeland. Uh, Governor Greg Abbott, he deserves a big shout out Big congratulations for being the only Republican governor, the first governor, to finally say enough is enough and we're not taking in more of this racket. Um, our buddy Ann Corcoran, if you go to her site, Refugee Resettlement Blog, maybe we'll talk about this tomorrow, a tremendous resources there. She actually lists how much taxpayer funding each of the nine VOLAGs, refugee resettlement contractors, have received over the last decade. It totals up to about $3.5 billion. So all this virtue signaling and the altruistic things you know, has nothing to do with that. It's all for money. And that's what it is because we're just bringing in civil wars to our own country. So if you live in Texas, you need to email, call his office, and thank him and say, look, we've got your back. Um, this, is the, the, this is really a tremendous moment. And, and look, people are waking up. I'm starting to hear... Um, a lot of governors are getting flack for it, for accepting them. Um, nine counties in Tennessee, GOP county parties, have voted to rebuke the Republican governor, Bill Lee, um, who, by the way, once said that uh, we can't open up the jails quickly enough. 
So that's the homeland. But I just want to just, I do want to bring it back to the Middle East for a moment. You have people like Mike Lee that are out there saying, Mr. President, you sent in a bunch of people to brief Congress and they're not giving us the truth. They're not telling us, you better not start a war and I'm going to join with Democrats on this war powers resolution to stop the war with Iran. And I'm thinking, Mike Lee has a certain knack for being principled at the wrong time, in the wrong place, for the wrong purpose, and for the wrong reason. He has this uncanny precision for doing that on a bunch of issues. He's never there when we need him. But he'll apply it in the most weird way where it doesn't apply. As we said last week, if you want to apply this principle of runaway wars and social work operations costing trillions and American lives with no oversight and Congress needs to get involved, start with Iraq and Afghanistan. Start with the real wars in Iraq and Afghanistan that are aimlessly killing our soldiers and actually hurting our deterrent against Iran. Not a non-existent war with Iran that Trump just avoided. What do you want, Mike Lee, from Trump? The guy attacked our embassy. What was Trump supposed to do? The guy killed all of our people. Over the weekend, two more soldiers, great soldiers from the 82nd Airborne Division, were killed from an IED in Kandahar, Afghanistan. Yes, we're still talking about Kandahar 17 years later. No one died from Iran. That's the ultimate peace through strength. That's the ultimate strike and maneuver. That's the ultimate winning civilization battles against Iran, which has, whether you like it or not, has been a much bigger nemesis than anything else for barely any cost and no lives lost. That's what you're going to criticize Trump for? Why is there no effort to pull out of Afghanistan or Iraq? Now, on paper, if you talk to Mike Lee, he'll agree with it, but he's not emphatic about it. Why? Because Mike Lee's shtick, his game, is finding issues that Democrats are virtue signaling over, and he'll join the virtue signaling, and he'll try to parlay it into some sort of pseudo-constitutional principle. But he'll never apply it where the media and the Democrats don't agree, because that's a little bit hard to do. You know what's funny? I said this last week. If you are so principled that you believe that, forget about the 18-year endless occupations without congressional oversight, but just one strike and maneuver that of, against an imminent attack, someone who sacked our, our embassy, that, that needs congressional approval. If you believe that, then you, be, then you should have believed that the, the operation against al-Baghdadi, the head of ISIS, you should have been bothered by that. Syria has no authorization. Iraq, whether you like it or not, does. It certainly needs to be reformed after all these years. I think we need to get out of there. But, you know, it, it, there is authorization there. Baghdadi, as evil as he was, never really affected Americans. He didn't. It was, it was the Assad. It was the Sunni-Shia civil war. In fact, he was fighting the Iranians there. Um, he killed a lot of innocent people there, but he didn't threaten Americans. And, and he was holed up in some, he was hiding in northwest Syria. Soleimani was out in the open directing attacks against Americans. 
And that was a ground operation, which was much riskier. This, we just took the guy out with a drone. Why is it that Mike Lee, Mr. Principled, no matter what, I'm just going to be principled. Look, you got to have congressional support. Why, did, why didn't he say a word on that? The answer is virtue signaling. Because the media made it kosher to ISIS. Oh, we, I, everyone wants to kill ISIS. But strategically and legally, we had a hundred times bigger case to go for Trump to unilaterally go after Soleimani than Baghdadi. I'm not saying I have a problem with him taking out Baghdadi. I'm just saying if that if you are principled, that is where you should have made your stand. But no, 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 because then I'll look stupid. Iran has become political. Iran is the new like illegal immigrant is the new abortion. It's the new constituency for Democrats. So the Democrats and the media are all up in arms. So so Mike Lee feels he could join with them and not face any backlash. It would take guts to, to actually say you need authorization to go after Baghdadi. That's his game. And it's like, it's not like you hear Mike Lee saying, don't do this stuff in the Middle East, but here's what we should do at home. The border. No, shut off visas. No, he's an open borders guy. He's pushing man maniacally this massive um, green card handout to India. And by the way, I'm old enough to remember when the Gang of Eight amnesty bill was a Gang of Nine. You could Google it and figure out who that ninth member originally was. Never says anything about our border. Like, at least Tucker, I know Tucker is very anti, you know, fighting Iran. And when I say fighting, I don't mean a ground war. I mean just even sanctions or anything. He doesn't see any problem with Iran. But at least he's strong on the border. He's like, yeah, let's focus on our border. Mike Lee never focuses on it. You know, the only time he ever talked about the cartels was when a Mormon family from Utah got killed. I can guarantee you, absent those cases, those circumstances, he wouldn't have said anything. It's all about virtue signaling. And that's why Mike Lee, the big libertarian, oh, he, he, he a big libertarian, he doesn't believe in prison, a criminal justice reform. But nothing says libertarian like Ivanka Care and doubling the refundable tax credits, which Mike Lee pushed for and supports. That's not very libertarian. I, I mean, I, I thought he was a big libertarian. Well, no, he's not a libertarian. He's not a constitutionalist. He's not a stickler for Article 1 of congressional oversight. He is a virtue signaler. That's what he does. He picks the things... Oh, Democrats are into jailbreak. I'll join with jailbreak. But he won't do the libertarian things that will get you accused of being a racist, like, you know, cutting off welfare. No, he'll, he'll go, he'll focus on all the things that um, will get him accolades from, from the left. It's the same thing when Mike Lee voted against to disapprove of um, Trump's reprogramming of DOD funding for the border wall. Okay, I support the border wall, but but look, this is Article One. The president can, you know, abuse congressional appropriations. We have to stand up for the prerogatives of Article One. That's his big thing. I'm thinking, like, dude, if you think that Trump is violating Article One, then by a factor of a million, the federal judiciary is violating Congress. They're overriding every immigration statute. And part of why Trump was forced to go that route is because the border crisis was spawned by the federal courts violating congressional statutes. And I never hear him talk about that. 
And I can tell you, I know privately, he's a judicial supremacist. He doesn't believe in what we believe on the courts. He believes in, 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 in judicial supremacism. So I don't want to hear this, oh, I'm an Article One guy. No, you're not. If you're an Article One guy, you would be yelping every day of the need for Congress to pass resolutions clarifying that the courts don't have the power that they're wielding. But no. See, I want to show that I'm doing conservative constitutional principles in a way that the media will be happy because it's against Trump. But if I go after the judiciary, oh, that, that's sacred. See, I, I can't respect someone like that. I could respect someone who disagrees with me on a couple of issues, but they're consistent in the sense that they really do apply their principle everywhere. But he doesn't. He applies it only. Watch him very carefully. Watch the panoply of issues that Mike Lee supports and doesn't and that he pushes for very strongly. It's all the things that the media is really into. More visas, jailbreak, welfare disguised as helping families and the tax code, Ivanka care. He might once in a while talk about Afghanistan, but his main, his actions that he's taking legislatively have all been in response to Khashoggi's murder, Khashoggi, that was another virtue signaling thing with Saudi Arabia, and then Soleimani now, but not Baghdadi, because one is, one, you score virtue signaling points, one, you're going to look kind of like, you support the Hitler of our time, even though Soleimani is a much more strategic Hitler of our time than Baghdadi was and affected Americans a lot more. But, you know, virtue signaling is as virtue signaling does. So that's the thing. It's not like Mike Lee is saying, look, I'm going to have resolutions on Afghanistan, on Iraq. I'm going to push those issues. He focuses on a non-existent war in Iran that Trump did a very good job. And look, you got to be fair to Trump. I notice when I criticize him, which I just did on this very show, I take things that are achievable. But you do have to understand, like, let's say we have a Republican president and the Republican president goes and um, you know, becomes president. And I'm like, you didn't abolish five departments of government on your first week in office. Social Security and, and Medicare are unconstitutional. Why didn't you get rid of it? That's not a fair criticism. But what is a fair criticism in, in, in fiscal policy, as they always say, is when, when you're a Republican president who signs bills downright giving the Department of Education record funding, that, that, that doesn't need to happen. But you have to be realistic. And, and, and I think we, you know, that, that's what I try to lay out here. So it's a similar thing. Trump, to his credit, did pull out mainly from Syria. He really is expressing his desires to pull out of Af Afghanistan and Iraq, I think he could be prodded more. But, you know, he has been consistently against Iraq war. He, Trump was dealt a bad hand. You know, it's, it's like 50 years of the Great Society. At present, you, know, you have so many things hinging on it, it's hard to, like, carte blanche, just end that. It's a similar thing here. He's moving in the right direction. Now is not the time to hit on him. And I think he demonstrated that with Iran. Peace through strength, Totally own them without starting another war. And, and you're criticizing him? But again, if you look at the common denominator of people like Mike Lee, it's always when the left agrees, that's when he becomes vocal. Now, maybe he'll tell you, look, I want to get things done and 
in my mind, it's good for America and I think it's conservative, but the left agrees for their reason. So I'll join with them because I want to get something done. But dude, if the only use we have from you is to just step on the gas pedal of things the left is doing, so go home. The left is doing jailbreak enough without you. I just had to get that off my shoulders. He's, you know, I'm really concerned about him. And I just, I'm sick of these pseudo principled stances that aren't principled at all. When you look into them, they're very hypocritical and they're actually very consistent in the sense that it's all about virtue signaling. I have a whole article we're going to have out today about truth versus virtue signaling on refugee resettlement. And believe me, you'll never get Mike Lee opposing that. So hopefully tomorrow we'll get to that more. We have tons of cases of crazy jailbreak stories out. Um, I have about 30 of them in my um, in my hopper. Um, some of you have sent them to me. I haven't had time to report on all of them, so watch my Twitter feed. Some of them will just have to go there. I'm not going to have time to do an article on each one. Um, but send me your notes, your comments, questions, concerns, what you want me to cover uh, this week at dharowitz at blazemedia.com is the email. At RM Conservative is the Twitter account. And Conservative Review is the YouTube page and the webpage for all of our content. Till tomorrow, God bless you all. And thank you for listening.